Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. I think you would agree that the times are such in our culture and in our world, I think you would agree maybe the times are such in your own life, in the lives of your families, our community. I think you would agree this morning that nothing less than an outpouring, a fresh filling, a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, nothing less than those will fill the church and equip the church for what is going to be necessary in the days ahead. Nothing less than God's Spirit can empower God's people to do God's work in these times. America has given birth to a sleepy church, a bored church, a church that is so accustomed to things being the way that they've always been that anything different than that is unthinkable, unimaginable in our culture, in our world. Here in the, uh, we were talking in the new members class today about the belt buckle here of the Bible belt. You know as well as I do that things are changing, things are shifting, and the church within the next generation or two or three may find itself in the same predicament as did those Christians, the first Christians, 2,000 years ago in a godless 
pagan Roman Empire. And yet we look back at that and say, how in the world could the gospel, could the witness of Jesus, could the power of Jesus in that setting, in that culture, in that society, ignite the fire that it did and grow to the flame that it did? And how do we, in our culture today, in a much more open, welcoming, comfortable environment, see less of that fire and less of that spark in the life of believers? I think the answer is with the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So often neglected, I think, by Baptist circles, um, more reformed than not circles, sometimes for good reason. Because what we see often peddled as the Holy Spirit on TV and through megachurches that promote the Holy Spirit in such a way, we see stuff that it does not comport with what we see in Scripture. We see signs and sign gifts that go above and beyond what Scripture teaches or try to add to the revelation that we have in Scripture. And so we have, in essence, thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And so any Holy Spirit, any talk of the gifts of the Spirit, are thrown out because of what we perceive to be the abuses. And in the in-between, somewhere, we have lost our dependence, our dependence on God's Spirit to do His work in His church through His Word. We talked last week about the person and work of Jesus Christ, and one of the early heresies that grew up around the teaching of the person of Jesus was a teaching called Arianism. Arianism in the early 300s was taught by a bishop named Arius, hence the name Arianism, and he taught that Jesus is not eternal God but was the first creation of God and is less than God. To which the Nicene Council, the Council of Churches that met at Nicaea to debate the matter and to settle on something, said, no, Jesus is truly God of truly God. He is true God, true man, begotten, not made. He is light from light, God from God, true God from true God. And so we answered that in the year 325 with the Council of Nicaea, the Nicene Creed says Jesus is truly God. The controversy went on for about 30 or 40 more years, not about Jesus necessarily, but now about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Another false teacher, a bishop, notice how often these false teachings come from within, named Macedonius, began to teach that while affirming the deity of the Son and the Father, the Holy Spirit, though, must be less than God. He must be a creation. It must be a creation of the Father and the Son, but not God in and of himself. And so another council was convened. We call the Second Nicene Council, or the Niceno-Constantinopolitan, if you want to say that, council was convened to reaffirm what they said about Jesus in 325, but then also to add a section on the Holy Spirit. And so in the year 381 AD, an addition was made to the Nicene Creed. 
So as we affirm the true deity and godhood of the Son, Jesus, the creed now also said, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. And so the church has come to see the Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each absolutely equal, each absolutely co-eternal as the one God. And we say, Amen, praise the Lord. But how much confusion still exists about the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our churches, maybe even here in this church, maybe in your life, in your own mind. Maybe you've always perceived the church as a sort of, or the Holy Spirit as a sort of impersonal force or some energy that's out there, some it to be encountered or an emotional experience to be sought. Perhaps you come into this church today with baggage from another church, another movement, another denomination where to have the Holy Spirit was a badge of honor. Maybe a badge of pride that you've made it. Something you needed, something you sought for, something you prayed for, and then you finally got it while others didn't. And now you're spirit-filled while there are other Christians who are not spirit-filled. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you came here today, as I said, seeing the Holy Spirit as something to be avoided. Lest we get into that weird stuff. And so we don't talk about him much. We don't think about him much. Of course, the question at the end of all of this is, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach? And what do we see in the Bible as the normative doctrine and operation of the person and work of the Holy Spirit? And today, I want to break that that down into three sections. He is a divine person. He is God's agent in the world. And he is God's power for believers. I'm going to read briefly from the Gospel of John. And this is what we call the upper room discourse. Jesus is about to go to the cross. His earthly ministry is about to be finished. And these are the final words, in essence, he leaves with his disciples. John 14, beginning with verses 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Look down at verses 25 through 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Look over at chapter 16. Let's pick up reading in verse 7. Same discourse, same conversation from the Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Thanks be to God. Number one, let's talk about the Holy Spirit as a divine person. You know, here the language that Jesus uses here is he discusses the person, the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it or that, but he, him, his. The Spirit is revealed here as a divine person, a person, not a human being. Not people person as we are people persons, human beings, but a person with intelligent, self-aware consciousness, personality, to be known and to know. According to Jehovah's Witnesses, the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force from Jehovah. He is the creation of Jehovah, the mind or energy of Jehovah. And so for Jehovah's Witnesses and many others, maybe even inadvertently, refer to the Holy Spirit as it. But that does not agree with Scripture. What we read here today, even as the Lord Jesus, knowing the Holy Spirit, refers to him as he, him, his. In Acts 5 Verses 3 through 4, you know, the confrontation with Ananias and Sapphira. Peter, talking to them, says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To lie to the Holy Spirit. But then look in verse 4. You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. None else than a person who hears and sees and understands with intelligence and awareness can be lied to. Or attempted to be deceived. And so when Ananias and Sapphira lied to Peter, they were lying to God because they were lying to the Holy Spirit. Cannot lie to an it or to a that. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, we know that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be grieved by our sin. Burdened by our sin, by our disobedience. It pains the Holy Spirit. That is not an impersonal force or energy that's out there. That is a being with awareness, feeling, thought. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What does Paul say? The Spirit reveals, the Spirit knows, the Spirit interprets, the Spirit teaches. These are intelligent, conscious acts. And the constant witness of Scripture, as you see, is that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal it, that, force, energy, thing, but it is a divine person, he who can know and who can be 
known. And so we say he is a person, but the first part is equally important, if not more so. He is a divine person. The Holy Spirit, contrary to what the Macedonians said leading up to that second Nicene Council, the Holy Spirit is not less than God. The Holy Spirit is not a creation or an emanation from the Father and the Son. I remind you of the Trinity diagram I showed you last week. So helpful in understanding the person of God. We don't see the Spirit as some subset from the Father and the Son, some offshoot, something different. But a divine person who shares equally and eternally in the one essence of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit, along with the Father and the Son, possesses true, full divinity. True, full Godhood. Undivided, unseparated, unmixed, unconfused. Just as the creed told us, who with the Father and the Son is to be worshipped and glorified. I talked a little bit about um, Trinity illustrations last week or the doctrine of God. I don't remember which one, but I told you how often they just so they fall short. And I'll just give you one for instance. One that has been used time and time again, and if you use this, I'm so sorry, but don't do it anymore, is the, the illustration of the egg. And they say the Trinity is like an egg. You got the shell, you have the white, and you have the yolk. And they three make up uh, one egg. And that's kind of like the Trinity. It's three parts of one God. Now, without knowing it, And trying to be very helpful, we have taught an ancient heresy called partialism. And you can tell by the word that we have taken God and divided him into parts. So that if you add the Son, and you add the Father, and you add the Holy Spirit, each presumably one-third God, then you get one God. Except that's false teaching. Because the Father is God in and of himself. The Son is God in and of himself. The Spirit is God in and of himself. So the egg white is not an egg, right? Part of an egg. The yolk is not an egg. It's part of an egg. The shell is not the egg, but it's part of the egg. And so you see how the illustration falls short. Another one I've heard, and this goes to whether you believe that humanity is composed of body and soul slash spirit or body, soul, spirit, three, two. It's an ancient debate between what we call dichotomy and trichotomy. Are, 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 are men made up of three parts, body, soul, spirit, and some would say even more, heart, emotions, whatever, or are we made up of two parts, the visible and the invisible, body, spirit, slash, soul, and those are interchangeable. And this illustration would say, well, we're body, soul, spirit, and just like man is body, soul, spirit, and we make up one person, me, I have a body, soul, spirit, that is kind of like God. But if you think about it, that is the same heresy, isn't it? Because my body, without my spirit or my soul, however you want to divide me, my body is not in and of itself me. My soul is not in and of itself me. Hence the importance of the resurrection. If just our souls or our spirits go to heaven to be with God and our bodies never go, 
then we are not as God created us. Body, soul, spirit. Body, soul, spirit. However you want to divide that. So we can't divide God into parts that way. He's not Father plus Son plus Holy Spirit equals God. He is the Father who is God. He is the Son who is God. He is the Holy Spirit who is God. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus instructs us in the Great Commission to go make disciples, you know this part, and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, we use that formula here when we baptize. We say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus did not intend necessarily to give us the formulaic words to say. He's showing us into whose authority we baptize. And the baptism that we receive as Christians, as opposed to John the Baptist baptism or a Jewish proselyte baptism, is a baptism into the triune God himself. And so God says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, each carrying the authority of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, sorry, chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God is the Spirit. The Spirit is God. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, again, remember in chapter, chapter, three, uh, chapter 5, verse 4, you've lied not just to men, but to God. The Holy Spirit is not just a person, but he is a divine person. He hears, he knows, he understands, he feels. Because he's not an impersonal force or energy, but is a divine person, intelligent, personal, relational, communicative spirit. And that last part's good news for us, isn't it? Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27 says, When the Spirit helps us in our weakness, he does it this way. When we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. I know I'm not the only one who knows this experience when you don't know what to say. When you come to the throne of God, you're trying to bring your need to him in prayer but you don't know where to start. You're angry. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're broken. And the words just won't make sense. Or maybe, as I so often do, you feel as if you're approaching God and it's, it's fake. That you really need to talk to God, but you can't help but get out of the Sunday school pattern and then your prayers just take off and they mean nothing. You know, dear Heavenly Father, blah, 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 blah. I've been there and I know you have too. And here's the good news about the Holy Spirit being a divine person. Is that he can take the thoughts and the feelings that you don't even know how to communicate. And he can pray for you. And he knows 
the mind of God. He knows the will of God in a way that you don't. And so sometimes it's okay to just sit and be still and say, Holy Spirit, I need you to pray for me because I can't. When you don't know how to pray, when you don't have the words, he knows and he prays. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.11 that he knows the mind of God and he prays that for you. It's not an it or that, but he is a him that you can talk to, who you can pray to, and who prays for you. Number two, he is God's agent in the world. The Trinity, co-equal, co-eternal persons of the one true God, yet each with distinctive roles in one divine plan. The Father we see in Scripture is the source, the creator, the architect, the designer. The Father is the one who by his will speaks and it comes to pass in creation, in your salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, it is the Father who chose you in the Son. The Father who elects you in the Son, the planner, the designer. The Son then is the Redeemer, the Mediator. He is the Word that is spoken. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did He create except by speaking? You go to the Gospel of John and we see that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He is the very Word that gives the life and the light to men which God spoke into being in the first place. He himself, the Son, is the source and the doer who carries out the Father's plan, submitting to the Father's plan even to the death on the cross. And then it is the Holy Spirit who takes what the Father has planned and what the Son has accomplished. It is finished. It is accomplished. He takes it then and applies it to the individual believer. Think about this in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form. It was, with, it was void. It was empty. It was lifeless. But look, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep, the waters, the abyss, the nothingness. God was there speaking. God was there about to create. But who was also there? The Holy Spirit hovering, preparing for God, preparing it for the Word of God, preparing to give it life. Think about the virgin birth. Mary knows the, the impassibility of the situation she's in. You say, I'm going to have a child, but how can I, since I'm a virgin, how is that going to happen? The, the angel says to her in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Come upon. The Holy Spirit is here Hovering over the empty void of the womb, preparing for God, preparing for God's word, preparing for life. The resurrection of Jesus, Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says the Lord Jesus was testified to be the son of God when he was raised to life by the Holy Spirit. 
And in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says it point blank. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Just like in the emptiness of creation, the emptiness of Mary's womb, here is the Holy Spirit in the emptiness of death itself, hovering, preparing for God, his word for life in the resurrection of Jesus. How about the very atonement of the Lord Jesus? Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says that Christ offered his atoning sacrifice to the Father by none other than the eternal Spirit. That even on the cross, the work that was being done and the work that was being accomplished by the plan of God and the deeds of the Son was nevertheless being carried out and applied by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' whole ministry, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, this chosen servant whom God was going to send, his Messiah, his Christ, he says, the Spirit of the Lord will be upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And what do we see as Jesus is baptized in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16? When he comes out of the water, the heavens are opened and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on him and rests on him. As if God were saying in no uncertain terms with this vivid picture in front of our faces, this is the one on whom the Spirit will rest. The Holy Spirit inspired scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Breathed out, that word theopneustos, from that word pneuma, breath, wind, or spirit. Peter said that it was the Holy Spirit who was carrying them along as they wrote scripture. He illumines the truth. John 16, 13, we read that earlier. He will guide you into all truth. He will illumine truth. In that same passage, he will exalt Jesus. He will glorify me, Jesus says. John chapter 16, verses 8 through 10, we read that too. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. He convicts, convinces. John chapter 3, verse 8 is the Holy Spirit who regenerates, that it is the Holy Spirit who gives the new birth. There is no new birth. There is no born again. There is no conversion apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, baptizes believers into Christ. We have all been baptized by one spirit into one body. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ when we come to Christ in faith. The Holy Spirit cultivates, Galatians 5, 22 through 23, and all these words come from our Baptist faith and message. Cultivates. Cultivates what? Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the Holy Spirit who works in us, Philippians 2, 13, who is at work in us, God at work in us, making us willing and able to obey him. It's the Holy Spirit who comforts us, John 15, 26. Comfort, a helper, one who comes alongside of us. The Holy Spirit bestows gifts to the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 4. There are many gifts, 
but they all come from one spirit. Ephesians 1.13, it is the Holy Spirit who seals believers. We read that earlier in our statement of faith too. That as we come to faith in Christ, we are sealed by his Holy Spirit. Who then, Paul says, is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Or, could be read, until he acquires possession of it. He's paid the down payment, he's given us his seal, and he will have what he's coming for. We already talked about this too, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it is the Holy Spirit who resurrects us. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will also raise your bodies from the dead on the day of resurrection. Remember what Jesus said earlier in John chapter 16, verse 7, it is to your benefit that I go. And if you were one of the disciples, and they did, they did respond this way, if you were one of them, you would have been like, why, why would you go? And how is that good for us that you go? We want you here. We need you here. Where else can we go, Peter says. You alone have the words of life. Where else are we going to go? And Jesus says, no, it is good that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. A pastor I have a lot of these that just stick in my head from places, and I don't know who said it or when, but I didn't come up with it. So all the plagiarizing talk and sermons and stuff lately, I never want to be accused of stealing something from somebody. Someone other than me said this. There's the sound bite. The Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus, and the Holy Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. For this moment in redemptive history, And for that moment in the lives of those disciples, Jesus was saying, the Holy Spirit who is coming to be in you is better than me being here beside you. Because the Spirit takes the work of the Son, which he finished, and applies it to the world, to believers. The Holy Spirit does the work of the Son. Salvation itself, planned by the Father, accomplished by the Son, applied by the Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. This is so interesting that as Paul is preaching the gospel, he comes and he's writing to these Thessalonian believers, and he says it this way, We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Now, how can Paul presume to know the chosenness of anybody? Except that when we preached the gospel to you, it was accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you believed. We know that he has chosen you because when we preached the gospel, you believed. And how did you believe? The work of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 16, verse 14, Paul's preaching the gospel, and a young lady named Lydia just happens, <laughs> you love God's providence and sovereignty, he just happens, she just happens to overhear it. And it says, the Lord opened her heart. Salvation comes to no one except the Lord opening the heart. Salvation comes to no one except the Lord opening the eyes. And he does it by the power and person of his Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, no one calls Jesus Lord apart from the Spirit. You can't get someone 
to just say the right words in the right way, and boom, there's salvation. Unless the Holy Spirit changes the heart and changes the mind and opens the eyes and opens the ears and causes them to say, Jesus is Lord, there is no salvation. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it is the Holy Spirit who bears witness with our spirits. Oh, that's so precious. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we belong to him. The Holy Spirit does the calling, the opening, the regenerating, the applying, the changing, the converting, the confirming is the Holy Spirit. And it must be. It must be the Holy Spirit who does it. Because you can't change somebody's heart. You can't change somebody's mind. I cannot preach good enough or short enough that's going to convince anyone to come to faith in Christ. Except that the Holy Spirit moves. As Calvin said, the grace of God has no charms for men till the Holy Spirit gives them a taste for it. See how God's Spirit has worked, is working in the world. And you say, where? Where is God's Spirit working? Where, where have I seen God's Spirit work? Where is that? Show me. Where's the sign? Where's the miracle? Where's the thing? And I would say, just be still and look around. Look at lives transformed by the gospel. Look at lives transformed by Jesus and you see the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Son affected, applied, and done by the Holy Spirit. The work of God planned and accomplished and applied by the ministry of the Son and the ministry of His Holy Spirit. And here's the good news. That work cannot fail. Philippians 1 verse 6. He who began this good work is faithful to complete this good work in you. And how is He doing it? By the ministry of His Holy Spirit. Number three, the Holy Spirit is God's power for believers. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is a present reality for believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, And we are a dwelling place for God's Spirit. He is here with us. He is here in us. He is here for us. Now, I know in different denominations, in different churches, even today as we preach this here, there is confusion concerning what we call the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Traditional, classical, Pentecostal denominations teach that there is salvation, but then after you are saved, going to heaven, you need to experience a second crisis moment with the Lord called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that that must be sought after and prayed for and waited on And in classical Pentecostal theology, when you receive that baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is always and everywhere for everyone accompanied by the sign of speaking in other tongues. Classical Pentecostal theology. The only problem amongst many I have with that way of thinking is that, as R.C. Sproul said, there are no Holy Spirit haves and have-nots in the kingdom of God. If you belong to God, Romans chapter 8, verse 9, if you belong to Him, you have His Holy Spirit. And if you do not have His Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Him. 
There is no step one and step two to receiving all of God. There is receiving Jesus, who is the fullness of God. And Jesus says, when you believe in me, I and the Father will come and dwell with you by the presence of his Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12, chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, Paul is clear that all believers are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. So if you've ever heard some say, you know you have the Holy Spirit if, speaking in tongues, you know you have the Holy Spirit if, goosebumps, you know you have the Holy Spirit if, You've danced in the Spirit or ran in the Spirit or been slain in the Spirit or had some prophetic encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's how you know. But what does the Bible say is the sign that you have the Holy Spirit? What does Jesus say is the sign that you have the power of his Holy Spirit? Acts chapter 8 verse 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to do what? To speak in tongues? To prophesy, to heal, to do miracles? No, you will have power to be my witnesses. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit, when Paul enumerates them in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, mentions nowhere the gifts of the Spirit. As important as they are, and we can have that conversation at another time, <laughs> Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, so on. Ultimately, listen to me, the sign that you have the Holy Spirit is that you are becoming more like Jesus. That is the sign of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul tells believers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Interesting verb and that it's ongoing. Once it has begun, it doesn't stop. Another interesting thing about the verb is that it's passive. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he contrasts it with those who are drunk with wine, which gives us a little indication about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That just as people are filled with wine and are then controlled by that substance, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore controlled by Him. So that the fullness of the Spirit and the extent to which we have God's Spirit filling us at any given moment is the extent to which the Spirit is controlling us as we obey, as we follow, as we subject ourselves to Him. If you want to hear more talk about the sign gifts, and we're not going to go into tongues and everything here today, sadly for many of you I know you're just itching for that. In May, I did a Wednesday night Bible study on some controversial doctrines, and we talked about the charismatic so-called sign gifts. So if you want to go back May 26, somewhere around there, Wednesday night study, we talked about Christians and our differences on those gifts, such as tongues and prophecy and so on. So go back there and listen to that. All I want to say today about the, the ministry and the personal work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer when it comes to those things is that God is not as concerned necessarily with us speaking in tongues as he is with us taming our tongues. There is more of the Holy Spirit in taming our tongue and learning to tame it than speaking in tongues, whatever you think that to mean. God is less concerned with us getting a fresh word from him than simply hearing and obeying the written word that he's already given us. 
God is less concerned with an experience than he is with our holiness. And today, God is less concerned that you feel Holy Ghost goosebumps than that you bear Holy Ghost fruit. Today, if you're struggling with sin, a particular temptation, pray to the Holy Spirit. Today, if you're weak in the faith, just weak in general, pray to the Holy Spirit. You need to bear more fruit for Jesus. Go to the Holy Spirit. You have a lost loved one that you're praying for. What else can you pray except that the Spirit brings them to Jesus? You need peace and assurance this morning about your salvation, about your standing with God. Go to the Holy Spirit. You need to grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. Go to the Holy Spirit. You need boldness to proclaim your faith to lost people. Go to the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that called you and gave you a new heart and gave you a new birth, the same Spirit that is keeping you now is working in you now. And He is the seal of your salvation. He is the how of your holiness. And He is your connection to Christ-likeness. So at the end of the day, as much as we might want them, you can keep your experiences, you can keep the emotional roller coasters that people so call the Holy Spirit, and you can just simply say, only make me more like Jesus. Don't you want that? Do you want more of his Holy Spirit? Then pray to be more like Jesus. He's a good father. Our Heavenly Father is a good father. In Luke chapter 11. If you being evil. Know how to give your children good gifts. Won't your Heavenly Father. Give the Holy Spirit. To those who ask. The question for you today is are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? Do you need the fire of God today? Not, not some emotional experience merely, though I can't see how you would escape some sort of emotional response to it. But the fire, the refining fire of God's spirit to make you pure, to make you holy. The good news is he's here, he's willing, and he's able. He's able. The question for you is, are you submitted and are you yielding? Ask yourself the question, what do I want from God? The song we're about to sing is a simple prayer. Breathe on me. Breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Take thou my heart. Cleanse every part. Holy Spirit, Breathe on me. There's no need to neglect the Holy Spirit this morning out of fear, out of suspicion, out of doubt. I'm going to tell you something as I started today. We need the Spirit's power. You need the Spirit's power. Your family needs the Spirit's power. 
Our church needs the Spirit's power. Our community needs the Spirit's power. We need Him as we need air, as we need bread, as we need water for cleansing, for empowering, for serving, for growing. And so the invitation this morning is to simply cry out to God with me, your spirit, God, your spirit for me, for First Baptist Church Dumas, for Dumas, for my family, your spirit, God, your spirit, breathe on me, breathe on me. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks. For the gift of your Holy Spirit. Give you thanks for his person, his work, who he is to us, who he is to our church. God, we confess and we repent of ignoring the Holy Spirit. We repent of relegating him to the sidelines. We repent of handing him off to other denominations and other movements while neglecting what you want to do through him by your word here. God, help us to seek you, to ask and to seek and to knock and to ask you. God, give us a fresh outpouring, a fresh filling today of your Holy Spirit. Would you stand as we begin to cry out to the Lord in this song? If you need to pray, the front is open. Nothing magical about the front. If you need to, in a sort of a a decisionary moment, say something to the Lord, that's a way to do it. You can kneel and pray where you are. But as we sing, don't let the moment pass to cry out to God. Use the words of this song or use your own words in prayer to cry out to God. I need your spirit, God. Do it now as we sing. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.